0: are new this week, I'm going to do a quick recap for you. We are in the middle of a five-week series called Believe. And Believe is really anchored in the passage of Scripture that is found in Luke chapter 1, verse 45, when Elizabeth is talking to her cousin Mary, the mother of Jesus, and she says, Mary, you are blessed among all women. Do you remember why? Because you believe that God is going to do what He said He's going to do. You're blessed. The word blessed means to be made happy. You are blessed among all women just because you believed God that you believe God. And so what we're doing is we're digging into scripture for these five weeks and we're looking at different aspects of that word. That word is from the Greek and it's pistuo, and it means to believe so much. So it's not just intellectual assent, but it's to believe so much so that I'm convicted to actually move. I'm convicted to actually act on that belief. Meaning, I believe God's Word so much that I'm actually going to do what it says, understanding that it's true. I believe that it's true. And so we're looking at that. Last week we looked at Abraham. I thought, boy, his life is is fascinating. But in Genesis 15, it said, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Not because he brought some incredible skill set to the table, but just because he believed him. God credited it to him as righteousness. And so today we're going to look in the New Testament at a passage of scripture in Luke chapter 8. And it's a parable. And before we jump into it, I want to play a little game with you that my kids played with me this last weekend. We were all eating Mexican food with another family. And this other family has like, it feels like 4,000 kids. And so we had all taken over the patio of this Mexican restaurant. And the kids started playing um, brain teasers with me and the other adults there. And I don't know if you've ever played brain teasers, but I don't like it. I don't like this game because it hurts my head. Let me give you a brain teaser and see if you can figure this out. Okay, listen up. It says this. It says, a man rides into town on Friday. He stays three days and nights and he leaves on Friday morning. How is this done? Okay, let me say it again. A man rides into town on Friday. He stays three days and nights and leaves on Friday morning. How is this done? What? Yeah, he, Friday the of boom, sister. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. When somebody shares these with me and tells me that, I don't care. I don't want to know. I don't, I don't care. They're like, Mom. My kids are like, Mom. See if you can figure this out. I don't want to figure it out. It hurts my head. I don't want to press in. I don't want to think about it. Just tell it to me. I don't know. I don't understand it. Just tell me. That's how I respond to brain teasers. Here's another one. See if you can get this one. Who is bigger? Mr. Bigger, Mrs. Bigger, or their baby? Who is bigger? Mr. Bigger, Mrs. Bigger, or their baby? Of course, that's what you think on the surface, all three, come on. Boom the baby because it's a little bigger get it get it Is anyone cranky now Cranky because of the brain teasers. I don't like them But what we're looking at in Luke chapter 8 is a parable that Jesus told and sometimes His parables and sometimes the Word of God feels like a brain teaser to me and here's what happens when I crack open my Bible and I start to read, there are days when I read it and it feels like a brain teaser and I'm not connecting and I'm not figuring out and my tendency or the temptation is to do this. I don't get it. I don't get it. Where's my people magazine? I don't get it. I don't get it. But here's what happened. And here's what I tend to also do is just, just tell it to me, Jason, my husband, just tell me what this means. Or my pastor, just tell it to me. Just tell me what this means. I don't want to do the work. I don't want to press in myself and try and figure it out. It's hard. Sometimes the word of God is intimidating because it feels like a brain teaser. And my challenge to you and my challenge to me is that instead of doing what I tend to do is just going, I don't get it. I don't, I'm moving on. Press into it. Press into it. Ask God, Lord, I don't understand this. We're going to see how the disciples did that today. They pressed in and said, I don't get it. What's it mean? And Jesus said, all right, I'm going to tell you what it means. And there are times when I'm reading, I'm, I'm in the middle of a Bible reading plan this year, starting from Genesis all the way through, and I'm in Leviticus right now. And Leviticus, if you know much about the Old Testament, it's the law. The Lord is setting up all these regulations on how they're to worship him and enter into his presence. And it's a brain teaser just because it feels laborious to read it. And this morning when I was reading scripture with the, I was like, Lord, this is your word that's alive and active scripture says. So Lord, would you speak to me in this? Show me where you are here. And I slowed down and I'm reading slowly and the Lord speaks to me, but I have to make the decision that I'm not just gonna go, I don't get it and move on. And so that's my encouragement to all of us as we jump into today's lesson, but also throughout your days and throughout your weeks, Don't be intimidated by this. The Lord wants you to press in and understand it. And he wants to speak to you. And this is the primary way the Lord will speak to us is through his word. And there's something that is so rich when I come to church or when I come to Bible study and the pastor or the preacher or speaker says something, I feel like God just had that just right for me. And it's powerful. But I'm telling you, nothing is sweeter then when I am by myself alone in the quiet of my own space and I'm reading and I know the Holy Spirit put that, this black and white verse, it's just for me today. Or he shares it and it's like, that's for you to give to this person. And it's that intimate connection that's one on one and there's no one in between. It's me and the Lord. I'm telling you girls, that is the sweetest, sweetest thing so jump into the Word of God on your own you will not be sorry the Lord wants to speak to you press in and so we're going to do that together today we're going to press in and we're going to look in Luke chapter 8 and as we go along you're going to see this word believe you'll see this Greek word pistou you'll see it come out in the passage that I'm reading but what we're doing today is we're going to look at a parable that Jesus shared and as he shares it he's highlighting conditions of our heart. There are four conditions that he highlights and why some of the conditions make it difficult to believe, make it difficult to believe God's word for the long haul. And so as we jump in, I just want you to ask the Lord, would you show me, would you show me myself in this today? Where am I in this passage? Because I've been all four types. Of the soil that he draws out today so let's jump in together Luke chapter 8 we're going to start in verse 4 if you don't have a Bible we have a couple on each table you can crack open says one day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him so let me let me explain something really quickly Jesus is nearing the end of His ministry. He is moving closer to the crucifixion, the cross. So things are heating up. And at the same time, He's gaining popularity, notoriety. And so His crowds are getting huge. And so typically when this happened, He would step aside and get into a boat, let everyone stay on the shoreline, and He would teach from a boat because the crowds were so huge. So as he's nearing the end of his ministry, he takes a shift in his style of teaching and he begins to speak in parables. Now a parable is called, I've I've heard it said that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Or someone else said that it's, it's also known to, or a definition is to throw alongside of. It's a story that's thrown alongside of a truth, and they track together. And it's a different angle at which to understand the truth, if that makes sense. So that's what Jesus is doing. He begins to speak in a parable to a large crowd that had gathered. This is what he says, verse 5. Jesus said, There's a farmer that went out to plant his seed. And as he scattered the seed across the field, some of the seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on, and the birds ate it. A farmer went out to plant his seed. Let me tell you something quickly too. I think this will help. Jesus always knew his audience. He always knew his audience. And so he chose this story because he knows he's speaking to men and women that are in agriculture. And he also knows that when he begins to say, there's a farmer that scatters his seed, the, um, the way they planted in this day's in age is that they would do just that. Farmers would go out and they would scatter the seed and not really think or be meticulous about where they were throwing the seed. They would just scatter it along and then they would come back and plow the ground after. And so when they would come back and plow it, that's when they would discover, oh, that seed fell here, that seed fell there. This is not going to be fruitful soil. This is that kind of thing. So Jesus knows that when he shares this story, he knows his audience and he knows they're going to be tracking with him. So a farmer goes out to plant a seed, and as he scattered it across the field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on, and the birds ate it. Verse 6, it says, Other seed fell among rocks, and it began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Still other seed fell among thorns that grew up and, and with it, so the other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Verse 8, it says, still other seed fell on fertile soil. The seed grew and it produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. And when Jesus had said this, he called out, anyone that has ears, let him hear and understand. So he's just described four places the seed fell. One, it fell on um, the wayside. It fell on the path the footpath the second it fell among rocks the third it fell among thorns and the fourth it fell among uh, fertile soil so we're gonna look at that and see what that means but in verse 9 this is important he continues on after he says anyone that has ears let him listen and understand he says his disciples ask him what the parable meant here's the deal the disciples feel like that brain teaser and they're probably a little cranky and they're leaning in they're like Explain it to me. What does it mean? What does it mean? Why would Jesus talk in a parable? Why wouldn't he just speak it out right? I don't wanna to have to press in. just tell me the answer. Just tell me what to do. Just explain it to me, lay it out. Sometimes my kids will come home and they're like last night I got home and my daughter had been to the pet store with Jason and she was telling me all this big story and I stopped her and I said, hold on just one second. I just need to know, is there a new animal in my home tonight? <laughs> That's, I need to know that first. Bottom line it for me, is there some freaky animal in my house tonight? No. Okay, then keep going. <laughs> keep talking. <laughs> but there are times when my kids are telling me something. I'm like, okay, time out. Just bottom line it for me. Bottom line it for me. Yes or no? Are we going or are we not? What, where are we headed here? Explain it to me. I don't wanna go along on the journey. And I'm having to sit still and go, engage Laura, go along on the journey. Let Beth tell you about every exotic animal she held. Go there with her. And I was able to relax once I knew I didn't have some creepy animal in my house. So the disciples have leaned in and they're like, explain it to me. What does it mean? Jesus replied, you're permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God, but I use parables to teach the others why So that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And he's quoting Isaiah 6, 9. And he says, when they look, they won't really see. And when they hear, they won't really understand. Now, that's a brain teaser for me. When I read that, I'm like, I don't understand what that means. What does that mean? Now, my tendency would be, let me just skip over that. I'm going to skip over and keep going. And sometimes it might be helpful for me to keep moving through the passage and then I come back to it. But my tendency is to go, I don't get it, so I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to move on. But the Lord's like, wait, 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 wait. There's a nugget here if you'll press in. And so as I was studying this passage this week, I kept pressing into that. What does he mean by that? So I went back to Isaiah 6:9 and I saw what that said. That didn't really help me a whole lot. What does it mean? Why? What's the motive? What did he say? So when I don't understand it, I look through the context in which it was written throughout scripture, the chapter before, chapter behind. If there's a reference verse, I go back to that. Then I go to commentaries and I start to to read what people that are a lot smarter than me have to say about it. And I drill down until the Lord begins to illuminate it. Now, it doesn't mean that everything in scripture is always going to make sense to me. It's not. But I'm going to press in and do the work because I know there's nuggets if I'll just take the time. So that's what I did. And I have a couple quotes from commentators that I want to read to you that I think are going to be helpful. Jesus has said, when they look, they won't really see. And when they hear, they're not going to understand. One commentator said, by quoting this passage from Isaiah 6-9, Jesus explained that his parables were not illustrations making difficult things clear to all who heard, No, no, no. They were a way of presenting God's message to those who were spiritually sensitive and could understand. But the hardened heart would merely hear a story without heaping up additional condemnation for rejecting God's word. Here's a here's it's said a different way from a different commentator. So that their guilt may not accumulate, the Lord no longer addresses them directly in explicit teachings during the period immediately preceding His crucifixion, but in parables. What does that say to me? That is a merciful heart of my Lord Jesus. Because as He is moving to the the cross, He He understands there are hearts that are hardened that are going to hang Him on a cross there are hardened hearts that don't want to hear the message and so as he speaks in parables he knows that in this short time there are those that are spiritually sensitive they're low-hanging fruit and they're going to lean in and go tell me more tell me more the disciples did that tell me more explain it what does it mean i want to know what it means and so he's going to unlock it and he's going to begin to tell them But the hardened hearts aren't going to have room to add condemnation onto Jesus, but also onto themselves. Onto themselves. Now when I read this, this reminded me of why Yes Ministries exists. We know in Yes Ministries that we we consider ourselves what we like to call a front porch ministry. Front porch meaning that we are going to cast a wide net and anyone is welcome to come. Anyone. Our mission is to draw all women closer to Jesus. That doesn't mean women that have already decided that He's their Lord. We will, draw all, we will draw women that are of another faith, that are kicking the tires of Christianity and don't know what they believe. You come to the table too. And this is a front porch ministry in the sense that we cast a wide net knowing not every heart wants to know the truth really. And that's okay because that's Jesus' work. That's the Holy Spirit's work, not ours. What is our work? To lift him high. To teach the truth, Lord, you will draw all men to yourself when we lift you high. And so we cast a wide net. Lord, you bring anyone. You bring the seasoned woman that's walked with you for years. You bring the one that doesn't know you. You bring the Buddhist that could care less about you, but she came because it was a free lunch. Bring them all. Bring them all. Bring them all. And we know eventually you need to move to a deeper place, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. But when I read that, it was affirming because Jesus, while He spoke to masses, not all of them followed after Him. And yet He taught all of them. He taught all of them. And so the disciples have leaned in, and the Lord has given them a nugget of truth that they ask for. Lean in. Lean in, especially when it's, when it's hard and it doesn't always make sense. Lean in. And if he doesn't give you the pat answer that you want, he'll give you his presence. There have been times when I've been disappointed or frustrated about an outcome or longing for a particular outcome, and I'm leaning in. I'm like, Lord, why? Lord, when? And in the middle of leaning in, I experience his presence in a way that only he could do in a way that only He could speak to the language of my own heart. And I am like, there you are. There you are. Okay, we can worry about that later. I just really need you. Lean in. So the disciples have done that. In verse 11, Jesus goes on and He says, Okay, this is the meaning of the parable. He's about to explain the four soils, the four places in which the seed fell. So as we walk through this, I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me in this passage of Scripture. Verse 11, it says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seed is God's word. Jesus was the word made flesh and dwelt among us. The seed is God's truth. It's God's word. The farmer is the person that shares God's word. So the farmer is, can be called the preacher or the pastor but really girls if we're in Christ you're the farmer I'm the farmer we're all the farmer and we share God's Word and I don't have to stress out if they're gonna get it or not I just share God's Word I'm just gonna be obedient to share and so as I go along in my life I'm just gonna be obedient I was driving up here today and I I bought a car a used car about three months ago and I made a connection with Jose the guy that sold me the car, and I still pray for him. And on my ride up here today, I was reminded of him. Now, why would I be thinking about him? I don't know, because I'm just going to believe the Holy Spirit brought him to my mind because he wanted me to pray for him. But I remember several conversations I had with my car salesman about the Lord. I haven't seen him since September. I don't know where he is in his journey, but I knew for that moment in that time frame, that I was interacting with him, I was going to share with him. Now I wasn't like, okay, sit down with me, and let's talk about these things. And do you know what it means in Leviticus 5? you know? I just said, do you, this is my life. This is what Jesus has done in my life. Tell me about you. Oh, we had the sweetest conversations. He was precious. And so I still pray for him. That's what it means. You're just a, you're just, we're just a farmer we're just kinda going along with what God's telling us to do so the seed is God's Word verse 12 it says the seeds that fell on the footpath so here's the first soil or non-soil whatever The, the seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved have you ever met someone with a heart that just seems impenetrable. My heart has been that way. I, I laugh, there's times when I sit in church and, and I'll get a kick out of a family in front of me and, and you'll see some of them just really leaning in, taking notes, and then you'll see some that are like mouth open and like, they're just, you know, and then you'll see some that are on their phone and, and the enemy is always on the prowl and his goal is to keep you from faith. His goal is to keep you from believing. He doesn't want you to believe. The first thing he did with Eve is, did God really say that? Don't believe that. Don't believe that. That's his scheme. And so one of the ways he'll do that is to distract our mind from really hearing the word of God. Jesus said, anyone that has ears, listen and hear it. Listen and hear it. And so if he can keep you from fully engaging and listening, he will. How does he do that? A distracted mind. A distracted mind. how many times have I been sitting somewhere listening to the Word of God and I am going over that grocery list in my mind I am fretting about something else that I'm worried about and I'm not engaged at all there's times when I'm reading the Bible I have to go over five times because I'm I've just completed my whole grocery list and I'm not even reading Leviticus and I have to go back and the enemy loves that he does not want me to build in my faith he doesn't want me to engage and have an intimate counter with the creator of the universe And so if he can distract us, he will. And so there are times when the word of God falls on hearts that are so hardened that it just bounces off. Now, here's the thing. I've been that heart. And that's not the condition of my heart now. And so if you know someone in your life and you think their heart is so hardened, I don't think it's ever going to soften. I don't think it'll ever be tenderized. Do not stop praying. Your battleground is prayer. It's not, come here, let me shove this down your throat. Doesn't that taste good? Doesn't it taste good when somebody's shoving something down your throat? Oh, it's so enjoyable. I remember when I was really growing in my faith. I was in high school, and I'd just come back from summer camp, and my project was my older brother. And I couldn't wait, and boy, I just had the wrong approach. I'll just say that. And so I started praying for him and just kept my mouth shut and just started loving him. And it did wonders. I think God really used it. He loves the Lord. So I, I just say that to encourage you. If there's someone in your life that you love, that you know, and you think, Lord, I just don't know that they're ever going to love you, that they're ever going to know the love that you have for them. You keep praying because no one is outside the reach of God's mighty arm. Keep praying. Don't, don't, um, don't stop. The second seed falls in verse 13 jesus begins to explain it he said okay now this seed fell on rocky soil and it represents those who hear the message and they receive it with joy but since they don't have deep roots they believe for a while and then they fall away when they face temptation that's a gut punch isn't it this is women that, re, that women and men that hear the word and they receive it with joy. Receive it. And do you see that word believe? They believe it. That's pastuo. They believe it for a while. For a while. But they fall away when they face temptation. When they face temptation. Now what does temptation mean? Typically in our culture, I think, I think when we hear the word temptation, we think, oh, it's a temptation for me to be naughty. I am gonna be naughty. I'm gonna be bad. It's a temptation. And there's things that we think, well, I'm not, I'm just not really tempted with going out and getting wasted. That's just not a temptation for me. I'm not tempted with, with getting on an uh, online dating service when I'm married. That's not a temptation for me, but we think those, those are the biggies, you know, of temptation. I think temptation is just to believe that God's not trustworthy. CS Lewis said the root of all sin is the belief that God is not good. And so the temptation for me is to believe that he doesn't see me. That he's not really at work in my life. That he doesn't love my children. That he's not really concerned about these things that are causing anxiety in Beth's life. I think it also, a temptation for me is to believe that it all rests on my shoulders. That it's up to me to make sure this family is thriving. It's up to to me to make sure my marriage is as good as it's ever going to be. It's up to me to make sure my kids have everything they need ever, ever, ever in life. It's up to me to make sure they never suffer at all. It's up to me to make sure that our finances are always okay all the time. It's up to me to make sure that I find that niche in my life, that sweet spot, that purpose in which I was created. And it's exhausting. And that pressure comes from a belief that if I don't do it, God's not going to. I don't know that I can rest in him. I don't know that I can really trust him with this. I don't know that this is on his radar. I better pick up and carry the burden myself. And if you drill down, if you really drill down to that, it's a belief that he's not good. It's a belief that he's not good and he doesn't really see you and he may not really come through and he might not really be trustworthy. Therefore, I better pick it up or that ball will drop. That's the temptation. That is the temptation. How temptation enters into your life is different than how it will enter into my life. If you are single, the temptation may be that you will always be single. If you're single, the temptation may be, oh, Lord, I may have to get married. I really like being single. Do you know what I mean? It's like whatever your state is, we have a fear that we'll lose whatever that thing is we hold dearly. And so we grab and we cling on. So is there an area, ask yourself, ask the Lord to illuminate. Lord, is there an area in my life that I'm tempted to believe that you're not really at work in, you're not good, you're not trustworthy in this arena of my life. Because I can assure you, this is what will cause me to fall away. This is what will cause me, because that's what the Lord, the enemy, was doing with Eve. And here's the thing I read uh, some just information because in, when, when Jesus began to, to share the parable, he talked about this seed falling on rocky soil and it said it sprung up for a little bit but it couldn't survive. It wilted and died because of a lack of moisture. Because a lack of moisture. Why was there a lack of moisture? Well, I read a commentator say this. I thought this was fascinating. He said some things that indicate a lack of moisture in our lives is doctrine without feeling. Doctrine, truth, head knowledge without the heart to come up behind it. On the flip side of that, I think we also get into trouble when we only depend on feelings and we don't have the knowledge. It's got to be both. It's got to be the truth and it's got to be the Holy Spirit that gives us the experiential truth to go, Oh, that's what that scripture means. I just experienced that. That's what you mean, Lord. One or the other gets us into trouble. Practice service without heart love. How many of us have just stacked the chairs at church? I'm here I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm serving. Here's your food. Here's your food <laughs> Practice service without heart love Faith faith I believe in without repentance Let's just let that sink in for a minute Bill Hybels is a pastor in Chicago, and he said this, until you've been wrecked by grace, your intimacy will be hindered. What does he mean by wrecked by grace? I'm wrecked by grace when I understand what grace means in my life. Grace isn't just a pat on the head like, it's okay, no big deal. Grace is, oh my goodness, my sin is so weighty. I deserve death. No, I really deserve it. And yet not only does he love me and forgive me, he likes me he's asked he's he's brought me back into his presence faith without repentance is just chicken soup for the soul in Isaiah chapter 6 you can write that address Isaiah chapter 6 and read it this week watch Isaiah when he encounters the Lord and you see faith with repentance what it looks like it's played out in Isaiah 6 we don't have time to look at it zeal without communion I want to touch on this zeal Excitement. Woo. I heard the word of God. I believe it. I receive it with joy. Have you ever left here or you've ever left church and you're like, I can do that. We talked about last week when Tara, Abraham's dad, they set out with great vigor. Zeal without communion. What does that mean? It means all the enthusiasm in the world for God will not help me if I don't have real communion with God. If I don't have communion with God. Let me explain really quickly. Yes, ministries is not enough if this is your only touch point with the Lord. It's not enough and it was never intended to be enough. You can come here every single week and if this is it for you, it's going to be a little bit of a hit in your arm, a spiritual high that you might be on, but it's going to go away. The Lord wants you to experience communion with him in a personal way every day of the week every day of the week, and it comes from your quiet times with Him. It comes from getting into a, a, um, a church body that can come around you, that teaches the Word of God, that can support you. It comes from having one or two friends that you know will really pray for you, that love you. Zeal without communion will cause you to, to die. You'll die. Yes Ministries, I mentioned earlier, is the front porch ministry. We're like, just come in, taste and see that he's good. But eventually, you need to move to the living room. And the living room should be your church body. And if you're not involved in a church, you come to one of us. Every one of our board members is actively involved in a church that they love. And every one of the churches is different. Most everyone is different. And so if you need a church where you can get plugged in, come see us. We would love to help you. But that's the living room. That's where you take a step deeper and you really begin to plant roots and you lock arms with a body of believers that are going to walk with you throughout life. But there's also the bedroom, the front porch, the living room, and then the bedroom. That's your own intimate time with the Lord. That's just you, one-on-one with the Lord. And you've got to have all of it. You've got to have all of it. So verse 14, he moves on to the third place the seed fell. And it says, the seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. So they never grow into maturity. They never grow into maturity. That is a great heartbreak of mine. One of the things that I pray for the most for women that come here is that you grow into maturity, that I grow into maturity. Because I'm telling you, there are so many things that vie for our time. And what this passage means is that the truth is springing up, but alongside the truth are the cares and anxieties of this world and also the lure of the pleasures of this world. Now I don't have a big bank account and so I'm not tempted by the pleasures if I'm thinking pleasures are a big house or a fancy car or a second home or a boat. That's not a big lure of mine but here's what pleasures lure me. Facebook, social media, social activities, none of which are bad but they can easily take first place and when they do they begin to choke out. Have you ever just been on Facebook or Instagram or whatever for five minutes, you are like good grief. Everybody else is so happy <laughs> Everyone else's life is perfect perfect perfectly filtered Perfectly positioned everything is perfect What does that do it breeds discontent? And so we have to ask ourselves Lord, is there anything that's choking you out? Is there anything? that needs to take a proper place in my life that's had too much control in my life. And then lastly he says in verse 15, And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word and they cling to it. They cling to it. That's a word that we need to remember. They cling to it and it patiently produces a harvest they cling to it. What does it mean to cling to something? I want you to think about that in your head. Oftentimes in my life, I don't really care to have a lot of friends that are clingy, right? That can be oh clingy, <laughs> but here's what I do love. I love it when my kids cling to me. Yesterday, I was sharing this in Friendswood when I was teaching Beth had a, my daughter Beth is nine and she just had a really, I don't, she just was not hundred percent woke up in a really emotionally tender mood and she did not want to go to school and I was gonna make her go to school she didn't have a fever and she just clung to me she just held on to me and buried her head here and just said I don't want to go I can't do it I just can't do it and she was just buried and and I was just holding her I was her safe place And in that moment I thought the Lord said Laura I, I want to hold you just like that cling to me scripture says cling to me cling to the Lord What does it mean to cling to Him in your life? What does that tangibly look like when you leave here? How do we cling to the Lord? How do we hold on and believe Him when it's so difficult to do so? When everything speaks against the truth, what do I do then? How do I cling then? When I was praying through this passage, I just felt impressed to send a text out to several of my friends. And I shared with them what I was teaching this week. And I said, how do you cling? How do you cling to the Lord? How have you stayed steadfast in your relationship with Him and not fallen away because of temptation or because of anxieties or because of pleasures? How are you staying the course? In other words, how are you clinging? I want to hear it. And I got such rich responses. But it it validated a lot of what I thought and I think what Scripture tells us. One said, here's how I approach the word of God. I always view this as a love letter full of promises for me. That's alive and active and God is going to speak to me. And that helps me cling to it. If I just approach this as a book or even just as the Bible, what does that mean to you? But I look at it as a love letter. That the God of the universe is going to speak to me. That helps me cling. Another person said, I cling to the Lord when I think about his track record in my life, when I think about his faithfulness, a sweet, sweet friend of mine struggled with an eating disorder throughout college. And she sent me on her text. She said, just this morning, I was cleaning my toilet and I broke down sobbing because of the freedom God has brought in my life. I used to cling to this toilet because I was bulimic and now I'm just cleaning it. Isn't that powerful? Track record. The Lord has been so faithful. I think that's important. I'm a bad journaler. I don't journal. And I think I'm going to regret that because I want my children, I want it to be part of my legacy that they see what God has brought us through. What God has done. Tell the stories. Throughout scripture, the Lord would say, now build an altar. And what he meant by that is just carve out a rock. Why? So that you'll remember, oh, that's when he delivered me from that. Ah, he's faithful. That was the hellacious storm in 2013 in our lives and he brought us through that. Oh my goodness, look at where we are now. Surely he's going to be faithful in 2018. Ask the Lord to illuminate for you what his track record has been. Show me where I'm missing it, Lord, or where I've overlooked it. Another person said, I cling to the Lord because I'm surrounded by friends that love me and hold my arms up And support me when I can't myself. I've just, that's just critical. And and in the Old Testament, Moses was leading this unruly group of Israelites out. And there were times when they were in battle and as long as Moses' arms were up, they were winning the battle. But when he dropped his arms, they were losing. And he got so tired and his buddies came around him and said, Listen, we're going to hold your arms up for you. We will do it for you. Do you have women in your life that will hold your arms up for you? One of our board members, her mom is in Little Rock, and she's not well. And Cheryl is having to go back and forth to Little Rock. And she sent us a text this weekend, and she was in California. And she had just come from Little Rock, gone to California, and got a text. Mom's in the ICU, has to fly back to Little Rock. And she's tired. She was tired. And she shot us a text. Why? Because she needed her arms held up. And we said to her, We will support you in prayer. We will be praying for you all weekend long. That's how she's clinging. She's tired. And when I get tired, I lose my grip, my stickiness. You know, I can't grip, I can't cling as well because I'm tired and I'm weary. How do you cling to the Lord? How do you cling to the Lord? I ask him, Lord, Come to me today. Lord, speak to me. Lord, I'm, I believe you, but help me with my unbelief. I'm struggling, Lord. I want this thing to stick. I'm going I'm to see this through to the end with you. So you come. You come. If you remember last week when Abraham was tired and weary and discouraged, he said, but how, Lord? It hadn't happened yet. I'm still waiting. And instead of stopping and settling and then eventually dying like his dad did he pressed in and said Lord help come speak minister to me and the Lord did just that and he took a next step and he's in the hall of faith because of his belief I want to be in the hall of faith too how do we cling? ask the Lord together maybe the Lord illuminated for you today that maybe your the soil in your heart is rocky because of unforgiveness and you need to come on the retreat Maybe he's illuminating for you that there's so many cares and things that are distracting you that the word is getting choked out. I don't know, but I can tell you this. The Lord is faithful and he's good and he will tenderize that soil in your heart. If you ask him, Lord, make my heart that which your word can be planted deep and grow deep roots. Tenderize it, Lord. Tenderize it. Let's ask him together. Jesus, we thank you that you are a God that began a work in us, and you tell us in your word that you who began the good work in us, you're going to complete it. So, Lord, I can't tenderize my heart on my own. You do that, Lord. I'm just going to be willing to let you do it. So would you come and speak to every single one of us today? Lord, show us where maybe our heart's gotten hardened or fearful, or there's worries that are choking out your truth. And we're tempted to believe that you're not really good, that this is all crazy, that you're not really trustworthy. Lord, would you show that to us in your loving tenderness? And in turn, Lord, we'll believe you and we'll allow you to do your work in our hearts. Grow deep roots, deep roots in us, Lord, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, ladies, we'll see you next week. Thanks for being here.